when I think of heartbeat, notice how everything I'm saying is like, you still need to talk to your audience, right? That's what that was the first thing I shared. Ask them, send a survey, add a survey to your welcome sequence or when people first opt in so that you can learn more about them. Like my, and I guess my heartbeat, my heart is to serve the people whose attention I have. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and I am so excited to welcome you back to our fabulous summer school season. And boy, do we have a jam-packed episode for you today. Allie Grummert is our guest, and Allie Grummert is a email marketing strategist and conversion copywriter who helps bloggers and content creators make a killer first impression through automated welcome and nurture sequences. She helps her clients build intentional email strategies that engage readers, build brand loyalty, and optimize conversations for sales and site traffic. After starting a personal finance blog in 2016 and learning the ropes of online marketing, Allie has paired her hands-on experience with her advertising degree. She works with clients, including food bloggers, money experts, service providers, product and course creators, and membership communities to create tailored strategic email sequences that promote products and content that readers both love and engage with. Allie holds the coveted spot as the email marketing industry expert for the Food Blogger Pro membership community, is a recommended expert through NerdPress, and has been featured on industry podcasts, including the Copywriter Club podcast, System Saved Me, and the Food Blogger Pro podcast. Allie, we met in Orlando on a porch. We became friends immediately. And started swapping, we are from the middle of nowhere stories. And I knew that I loved you. And then you turned around and said, hey, can we do an episode about the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice? And I was like, would you like to get married? I'm already married, but <laughs> we could change it. But before we get into P&P and my Austin obsession, which you share, I got to ask you a more important question, which is, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? I would say focus on getting to know your audience. Like ask them a question. Yeah. Talk to the people. Talk Talk to to the the people. people. (laughs) Whether that's like sending out a question in your email marketing to have people reply back to or, um, yeah, or sending out a survey. But it, it can be as simple as like, hey, audience, I'm curious. Answer this question. Reply back. You know, I love that. And then also, I think one thing where I, what comes up for me immediately, like if I turn off strategist brain, that's like, yes, do this, do this immediately. If I put on like stressed out business owner side of my brain, I'm like, but what if nobody responds to me? So I think one of the, I think I worry about questions because I worry about receiving crickets. And I think I also worry about not asking the right questions. So 
if I'm asking questions and getting crickets, what does that mean? Or how do I ask better questions? Well, first of all, nobody on your list will know if nobody else answered. That's so valid. It's, <laughs> it's just that, you. That's valid. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a question or two in my welcome sequence. I think it's actually my very first welcome email. And like, I'm not getting replies from every new subscriber, but I get replies every now and then, or there's weeks where I'll get four replies and weeks where I'll get none. And so um, it really just kind of depends on that person's like willingness to engage at that moment too. Um, But as far as asking good questions, I think ask something that's not maybe a yes or no question, but still (laughs) is still easy to reply back to. Like I have clients like who maybe are Italian food bloggers. So we'll just ask like, what's your connection to Italy? Oh man, if people like, are from Italy or their grandparents are, or they visited there once, like they want to talk talk about it. I love that. Open the door for story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as an Italian American, by God, believe me, I understand where (laughs) it's like, you know, it's like nothing. I'm not knocking my people. Okay. Ancestors don't roll in your graves and nobody at me, but like you could tell how proud people's connection to Italy is every Columbus day of all trashy things. And I'm like, y'all, can we have Sophia Loren day? Can we have another day? Like, can we do <laughs> literally freaking St. Patrick was actually Italian. Can we just co-op St. Patrick's day? Like, oh my God, come on. But you know, because it, but people are so proud and excited to talk about the things that light them up, whether it's their multi-generational Italian heritage, their, grandma's, you know, you will never, ever know over my cold dead hands pasta sauce recipe or, you know, just the they want to show you the trip. They want to show you, you know, the places that they ate in Sicily. And and I think that's because you're saying, hey, by asking you this question, what I'm really showing you is genuine interest and giving you access. Yeah. And like that your story is welcome here or that you are in a good spot. Okay. as a content creator, right, so much of what we do is like we're pushing out information, like here's something about my life or here's my new recipe that I created. Um, But to say like you're you are the other part of this scenario. Yes. It's not a vacuum. You're not just like sending out information to robots like they are actual people behind actual email addresses. (sighs) Your story is welcome here. It's just can we put that on the billboard? or tote bag or something. I mean, that's just so good because, you know, you work predominantly with bloggers and people that have found a home on the internet saying their piece, sharing the things they love and using their voice, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet, that's a self-created mechanism in that like that's visibility that is born of you and when you put yourself out there so much having somebody ask you a great question you can respond to feels like coming home you're like oh somebody else cares about what I'm saying like because we know there are some blog posts you put out that get 127,000 comments overnight and some stuff that you put out that you think is freaking incredible that maybe you get one random comment four years later and you're like finally (laughs) somebody commented on the damn lemon bar post like finally 
how do we dance this dance of of putting out content and adding our voice to the global mix of voices, but making sure that people understand that through our own content, their story is welcome here? Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it is asking. Part of it is telling your own story and being vulnerable with that instead of just being like, I'm a purely a content creator. It's like, no, you're a person behind the content. Yes. So one of the things, you know, I always ask our clients like, yeah, what what triggered you? What happened in your life that you started this blog? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. because then it's like, oh, because you were a mom with young kids and didn't have time to make, you know, hour-long meals. Mm-hmm. If you even just say that, it's giving the permission of the people reading that to be like, oh my gosh, that's where I'm at. Me too. Yes. And they're yes. like, I'm in, I'm in the right place, right? The internet is huge and there are hundreds of thousands of food blogs, right? And so to be like, oh, this person gets it. That's the, that's the angle that this creator is coming from. I'm going to stick around because I feel like I fit in here and they're going to meet my needs and help solve my problems. Yeah. And so and that's why I'm always like telling my clients or, you know, I'm, I have a round table every month and just encouraging people like to find who you are writing for. Because even just by like saying it, they're going to be like, oh yeah, this is my spot. Yeah. I'm stick around. Versus yes. just keeping things super general. Like I provide recipes. It's like, yeah, but what problem are you solving? Let's talk about round tables. Yeah. In that, okay, we hear a lot about mastermind groups, we hear a lot about networking, but there's something really magical about a well-executed roundtable. So how do you define that and what makes it so exciting as a concept? My business name is Duet, which like has a couple different meanings, but one of them is like, get the thing done, like do it, duet, sounds like do it, do it. And I felt like I was passively sharing a ton of content through my email list, right? You're like, I'm creating this content. I'm on a podcast, whatever. I'm like pushing it out. But I was like, I know there are a ton of DIYers on my list who like are hung up on like one or two questions that are keeping them from getting their message out, right? So like the master or the, the round table for me was like, how do I answer those questions so that you don't have an excuse anymore? They're like, can I use emojis in a subject line? I was like, if that's what's keeping you from sending the dang emails, let me answer that. And then we keep moving and you just go share your wonderful content with the world. So mine is set up. So like we have it the third Thursday at 3 p.m. because I like alliteration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it's called Email Marketing Answers with Allie. It's like a topic that we cover every month. And then there's kind of an open-ended Q&A. Um, so yeah, the promise is we're going to get your questions answered. So part See, of it's education, part of it's like, do the dang thing. Cause I've answered the question for you. I always love like you and I were talking in the pre-chat, like we're going to talk about email. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. And there's always like the hidden topic that comes through. And the <laughs> hidden topic today is what questions are you asking and what questions are you answering? right? Because how are we using questions to build rapport? How are we using questions to clarify? How are we using questions to build community? Right? And, and you know, you and I met tangentially through or through Danielle Weil, friend of the show, and you were there when Danielle was walking around PodFest asking everybody their favorite ice cream. Oh, yeah. And just like your point, everybody had an opinion. Lactose intolerant people that only eat ice cream when they hate themselves that day had strong opinions. Like, 
you know, people that are like, oh, I don't really like sweets, but my favorite ice, like everybody had an opinion. And I think, you know, you in the foodie space, that's such a literal example. But what's the question equivalent listeners that will get your people riled up? And it might be about something that has nothing to do with your work. Danielle, like Allie, is a coffee strategist and a writer. Like, she doesn't, and she's not in the food space. She's in, like, the personal development mastermind yeah. space. Like, what's your favorite ice cream? People get talking. And then what she does is she says, okay, how was your business like that ice cream? Oh, and now we've drawn the connection, right? So you and I and I were talking in the pre-chat about the fact that you just had this amazing brand shoot and you shared with me that you on this went on this quest for this incredible lemon bar right and it had to yeah. be a camera ready lemon bar and it's like all right cool why a lemon bar and how is your business like that lemon bar like that 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 right there right i mean i just want to tell you now I'm like let me tell you because yeah. it's bright and it's tangy and have you ever had a bad lemon bar no, no. and how it's like my business it's refreshing yeah. and delightful. And it's a treat. I don't eat lemon bars every day. Only mm-hmm. when I when I want a treat. But I never have had a bad lemon bar, right? right. I mean, and so we could be like, Allie, the lemon bar of blogging. Like, what, <laughs> what does that even mean? Who knows? Now it's a Tyson Lee Vague, but now we're having a conversation, right? And, oh, yeah. And, and food is so memory-driven and emotional and sensory. But if you're not in the food space, listener, I don't want you to worry because you can still invoke and involve the senses and you can still use food as a tool. You can. You can also, I mean, one of my initial questions in the wel- in my welcome sequence is actually like, what's your anxiety around this blank? You know, what, yeah, what is your number one frustration with your email marketing right now? Or like, how is it not meeting your own expectations? So, you know, you can invoke like the really positive and get people to engage that way. You can also ask like, what's your problem? <laughs> Sorry, that sounded really abrupt. No, what's no, your no, problem? What's well, your problem? Even, like, but also, like we said before, your story is welcome here. That also someone implies your confusion is welcome here. Yeah. And then when they reply, I just like, I reply back empathetically. Like, I get it. Email marketing is complex. Here's a video training I already did on it. Like, these are people who are brand new to my list. Instead of waiting for them to get that nurture email in three months, they're still going to get it. But how can I help, you know, shorten that learning curve? Well, why would you withhold something that you're ready to give? Right. You just have to be willing to do the work. You have to be willing to go grab that for someone. Um, And remembering that these people are individuals (laughs) and not robots. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, and that they understand that you're emailing lots of people, but they still want to feel like you're emailing just them. So when you are emailing just them, put some effort in. Yeah. And thank them. Like, thanks for replying. Thanks yeah. for being vulnerable. You know, maybe not in those terms, but yes. No, I mean, it. you could thank them for being vulnerable in those terms. Yeah, you could. And if you don't want to thank them, you could at least applaud them. Be like, hey, got to hand it to you. This was a vulnerable email and I acknowledge that. Yeah. So I had a client, uh, this Italian blogger that I mentioned, when we had her welcome sequence ready to go, she like teed it up to her existing list. and was like, guys, I have this new thing. I'm going to share it with you. You can expect it starting next week. Well, after the first couple emails came in, she said she got hundreds of replies. Hundreds. And like, these are not, these are not the vanity metrics that you see on like Instagram followers Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. comments on a post or something. It was like, all of these people are like, I love you. I love your stuff. I love your story. Here's my story. And like, 
that's a connection, right? If you're ever going to sell something, and she does, she has eBooks, and she's selling, quote unquote, like her content and getting traffic back to her site. Um, but like, once people feel like an emotional connection to you, whether it's like pride or relief or something like that, they're more likely to stay engaged with you. Well, yeah, because it's not a flat, amorphous thing. You know, we see an actor in a, that we don't know in a movie that we really love and they nail that performance. Suddenly we love that person. Like we have right. emotional attachment that wasn't there before. <laughs> and right? then you go watch every YouTube video they've ever been in. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, oh this happens with food too, where you're like, I have never eaten this weird ass thing. And then you eat it and you're like, have I mentioned that my favorite food is this weird ass thing <laughs> that no one else has had? Like, because, because once we've experienced it, we've experienced it. Right. Which is part of the reason why when I'm working on funnels with people, I try to get them as experiential as possible, get them the quick win, bring in the emotional stuff, bring in the senses. Like when you download from direct from me, when you download the coach who would not sell, the first thing you get from me after that is you get a playlist of like weird noir music so that you can listen while you read. Right. Oh, and that. because here's the other thing, it's it part of it is invoking the senses. But the other thing is I know as a lead magnet and as a community builder and as a marketing piece for me, if they download the book but don't read it, they're not going to get the full effect. They don't get any effect. Like yeah. they get the effect of the fact that my cover is cute, which doesn't make me any money. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so, one of the objections that I have to handle as someone who puts out long form content is I don't have time to read this. I'm a business owner, which is why my book is very short, which is why you can do the whole thing in two hours or less, which is why I put on a 90-minute playlist to say, this 90-minute playlist should cover you from soup to nuts, right? Like this 90-minute, but also people are writing me notes back being like, my favorite track on the playlist is this one. What's yours? And I'm like, you're asking me questions. Yay! <laughs> that's <Right>? engagement. <laughs> that's engagement. Exactly. That's engagement. When I've done that with like a welcome sequence for a client, um, we have like a whole beginner cook sequence uh -huh. and part of it, like their brand is like, we want you to be a confident home cook. So in there, like we had emails of like how to cut up garlic and how to cut up a sweet potato without cutting your finger off, right? Like these are things you need to know. But towards the end, it was like, please have fun. Here's a playlist. Pour something like sparkling, you know, and like yep. enjoy, enjoy the opportunity to like create something. So that reminds me of yeah. What does it look like to give people that full breadth of experience? Did you know that after you chop garlic, if you rub your fingers on stainless steel, like your sink, it makes the garlic smell go away? I did not know that. Do you want to know something else? Yes. I actually have no sense of smell at all. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun sad That's fact. <laughs> My friend Wait, Ken also has no sense of smell at all. And yet is routinely the best smelling person I know. Like, notoriously amazing smelling because his wife, like, keeps that shit, oh, like, there fabulous. You go. I was just but saying, other than that. Time, every time I get in there, I'm just like, I got to give you the double sniff for both of us. Like, I got to appreciate how good you smell because you can't. Like, damn. <laughs> oh, man, what happened to your sense of smell? Where did it go? I've never had one. Never, never. So, but I can still taste, like, lemon bars. Don't you worry. You should them. move somewhere disgusting that other oh. people cannot tread. Well, for your friend who's like overcompensating and smells mm -hmm. super great, I'm like, I might just be a walking trash bag right now. And I don't <laughs> really know. 
I don't really know. And so when I started dating my boyfriend, he like, it was that weird line of like, do I tell her she smells or do I just like suck it up? And then we go out in public and she smells around other people because I didn't have the guts to tell her. Oh, it was a whole thing. He's like, I feel like this is a lose-lose. And so we had to figure out a way for him to kindly say, hey, girlfriend, (laughs) you might want to go put some some more deodorant on. (laughs) It's like everybody poops, but it's like everybody smells, but not everybody can smell. Not everyone knows they smell. (laughs) And that, that's me. Oh, man. The stories I have from college, I used to wear a shirt like six times before I washed it. I had no concept of like, one is probably enough. Yeah. Like. See, but that right there, <laughs> the dirty t-shirt that you cannot smell and continue to wear is in and of itself a metaphor for entrepreneurship. <laughs> like that more. dirty t-shirt could be our pop culture topic today. It's not. But like. How many times do we get fixed on a strategy beyond what it's working or we find a gimmick that works well and so we just stick to it or we're unwilling to change something like a brand color because we're really, really connected to it and and we don't let it evolve because it's casual, it's there, it's possible, right? Like you had other clean clothing, but that t-shirt was comfortable and available. So t-shirt it is, right? Like, so I think, I mean, it's a stretch, like many, many metaphors on this show, but I do think there's something of like, we go with the tried and true over the innovative. And a lot of the time that's the correct choice, but sometimes it's also a smelly choice that maybe we should replace. And maybe you should like, you know, get a clean t-shirt. Well, and then it's also like, that's the fun part of entrepreneurship, right? Like once you have something that works, you actually have a little bit more room to experiment with other things. (laughs) Right. And then you can always bring it back. You can always wash the shirt and put it back on. You know, I see that. Well, like I'm even thinking about my wardrobe right now. It is winter in Nebraska and we are like on our freaking last nerve, like as as a as a world right now, <laughs> like yeah. in the state, we're just like, is it spring yet? And I'm like, I'm getting so annoyed with my clothing choices. I'm like, do I hate everything I own, or is it yep. just like, or is it just time to retire these clothes to the closet? And part of me is like, some of these things, you know, old favorites I've had for like ten years. I'm like, maybe you do retire it. What would that look like for you, Allie, to like go invest in a new sweater that you like really love and show up better as, you know, versus, you know, so sometimes same old, same old is like, yeah, but. What would it look like? Yeah. What would it look like if I like Marie Kondo blessed and released this thing? Yeah. Right. But also, oh my God, there's another one. Like, are we blessing and releasing our content? Are we, are we still, are we putting it out so that it can turn into something new and impact people and hopefully come back to us in the form of feedback? Or are we so fixated on how it's being received? We're not really letting it go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, guys, don't look at your unsubscribes for starters, right? Like part of our job as creators and problem solvers is to put out content and see how it lands, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are micromanaging every email that goes out or every blog post or every Instagram post, like you're going to paralyze yourself and you're going to lose the freedom of just creating with your audience in mind, right? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so don't, yeah, don't hyper fixate on that. Don't even look at your unsubscribes. Like, don't click through and see who they are because you're going to find out it was somebody you actually know in real life. You're gonna yeah. be like, That's so sad. And you don't need that. Um, so, like, what I tell people to do is, like, you're sending out emails, if you're, especially if you're getting started. 
send the dang email. Like what you know right now, even if it's not polished, even if it's not like the most helpful thing on the internet, it's still mm-hmm. going to help someone. Yep. So get the message out there. Like I, and I, I turn my early nurture emails, like my very early ones, they're part of my nurture sequence. And like, they're not the best copywriting, but the message is still important. The message is there. And so, and I can always go back and tweak them, but for the most part, it's like, you they exist just because they're out there. They exist and they're out there. And then what you do is like, then you go back and gather the data six months later, a year later, see what people have engaged with the most. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. But right. otherwise, we like, can't, we can't fix what we don't know. Right. Like, and so I think a lot of the time when people come to me and they're like, okay, okay, I need to write these email campaigns and they need to be perfect right from the get-go. I'm like, they're never going to be perfect right from the get-go because we don't know how they're going to be received. We can make our best estimations based on best practices and your brand and your audience, but because of trends or things that will change or the weird zeitgeist that nobody understands, but it happens. Like, you know, somebody, the lemon bar email might not do well and we're shocked. And then suddenly lemon bars become totally in vogue and it blows up. We don't know, (laughs) but we also don't know until we check things like your open rate and your response rate and your click rate and not your unsubscribes. Like, well, and those things just can't, don't let them dictate your entire content schedule. And like what you're creating, because you're going to lose your soul in the process. Explain. If you're going to bend to every whim of what people want or don't want or the style they want it or don't want it, you're either you're going to get exhausted because people are going to say, well, now I want it in video. Now I want it as a PDF. Now I want it as whatever. Like you get to be, like I kind of say, like you're like the magazine editor. You have all this information. It's just how are you going to present it? You still want to listen to your people. I would say it's more important to... um, what do I say? Darren Rouse from ProBlogger. I listened to him speak once. And he was like, if you put too much emphasis on what everyone thinks, you're just creating for money's sake and you lose your like passion for it. But if you're only doing it passion-driven and you're not making any money and you're not actually engaging with people, and you're not delivering what they want, you're going to make no money and then you're going to be out of business. So there has to be like a balance there. Yeah. So, so I say like define what is important for you to share with people. Yes. Like what are what is the heartbeat? What is your soapbox? Create content around that, but then also ask your audience and make sure that you're answering their questions. Like I swear, like the whole first year of me writing emails was just like, what are people asking yeah. and answering those questions? And it's a practice in defining your own intellectual property. Yep. How would I solve this problem? I mean, that's the exact same question I ask when when I'm defining new programming, right? It's like, what do I get asked all the time, right? And And so everything has a kind of like size gauge right? So I always use Goldilocks and the three bears. Like if it's a bite-sized chunk of your content, intellectual property, thought leadership, whatever, perfect for an email, right? If it's a mama bear sized chunk of like this plus going a little deeper, that's an awesome lead magnet. And if it's a full problem solved, then that goes behind your paywall, right? But we still got to know what we want to say. And I love uh, this word that you use that I don't think I've ever heard used about branding or visibility or outreach before. You use the word heartbeat. Wow. Tell me more about what it means for your brand and your vision to have a heartbeat. Well, it makes it, how do I want to say this? 
if you don't, I mean, it's it's kind of cheesy to think of like, you need to know your why. <laughs> like that that feels like- I too mean, we talk about Simon Sinek on this show all the time because that book is damn good and important, right? Like your <laughs> why is important. I'm sorry it's trite, everybody, but it's true. Or we think about it this way. Like as the content creator, you are the person, you are the face, you are the living being. Um, you're not a content generating AI machine. You are presenting new thoughts, new ways of thinking, or just helpful thoughts. Not everything you create has to be like the most original thing on the earth, right? Like nothing what? is original anymore. Every <laughs> so, email that you send has got to be a Nobel Prize winner or GTFO. Like, <laughs> if you're not going to win a Pulitzer, don't do it. No, just kidding. Of why are you course. even showing up today? Yeah. Right? But like, why? You're totally right. Because that's the pressure we put on where we're like, I couldn't find the perfect adjective <laughs> for scrumptious. And so it's just, the whole thing's a disaster. And it's like, dude, come on, just send it. Well, and when I think of heartbeat, like, Notice how everything I'm saying is like, you still need to talk to your audience, right? That's yeah. what that was the first thing I shared. Ask them, send a survey, add a survey to your welcome sequence or when people first opt in so that you can learn more about them. Like my, and I guess my heartbeat, my heart is to serve the people whose attention I have, whether it's my clients, whether it's people on my email list, you know? I'm giggling my ass off because <laughs> I just figured out the transition of the pop culture piece and... Oh, here comes listeners. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> if Elizabeth Bennett had sent out a survey to the people that she met at the dance, it probably would have helped her to know that uh, maybe she was being prideful and prejudiced. Um <laughs> And and also, if Mr. Darcy had considered his audience at all, he, Elizabeth Bennett, probably wouldn't have had to send the damn survey because he would have communicated better. That's right. That's right. We're talking well, about pride and prejudice today, folks. Know your audience. Yeah. Know your audience and yeah. how you show up. Yeah. Right? Because here's what Mr. Darcy did. Mr. Darcy sent out a welcome email that was not so welcoming. He says, I'm here. Do you see me? Do you see what I have? Do you want what I have? That's not exactly welcoming. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say stay subscribed to <laughs> But he also did the thing where he goes. I mean, and I've totally seen people do this in their email marketing, where it's like this email list is not for assholes and ugly people. And you're like, huh? Did you really come out the gate with an insult trying to be charming? Like. <laughs> I guess she's not attractive enough to dance with, but whatever. Like, what? Did you really just say, like, it's one thing to be very clear about who you're for and who you're not for, but, like, being a bitch right out the gate is an interesting move, Darcy. <laughs> well, and, like, so I think Elizabeth's reaction is completely valid, mm -hmm. right? Well, if it's all going to be about you mm -hmm. and you're going to insult me mm -hmm. or talk down to me mm -hmm. or the, even it's just that's in the slightest bit of tone, Right? Like, I'm like, mm, we'll talk another time when it's not all about you. Yeah. But even if she had sent a survey being like, hotness, am I hot or not? She would have gotten hot back and been like, oh, he's mean to me because he likes me like a third grader. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Okay. I'd be like, are these bangs a good idea? See, the men of PMP, I think, are really going to teach us a lot about emails because we got the Darcy who's like, insult out the gate keep your best content until 
ever. Because he knows his audience eventually. He's like, I need to find Lizzie Bennett. Where is she? Oh, wandering in the rain. That tracks, right? But it takes him a really long time to understand how understanding his audience changes his pitch, right? Like, come on. But then we also have these other two yahoos, Bingley and Wickham. Okay? All right. So we got the Bingley principle, which is like, I am going to ardently love my client for months and never tell them and bow to the whims of the populace and just be totally malleable, which is also like a persuasion thing if we're just going into Austin. But like, you know, Mr. Bingley sends pleasant emails that says nothing. Mr. Darcy sends compliments disguised as insults. And Mr. Wickham doesn't ever tell you what he's actually selling. He just markets to you constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of that is true. Mm-hmm. And then Caroline doesn't get an email list because she's <laughs> stubborn. Caroline's like, email is for the plebs. I don't email. <laughs> the pullers. <laughs> I don't email. That's disgusting. No. Right? And then we send poor, poor Jane out. Wandering the moors where she, you know. Hmm. Um, can we talk about Mr. Collins? I feel Mr. like Mr. Collins, how did I leave him out of this? Yes, okay. What kind please of email? Please, 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 yes. Oh my god. Mr. Collins only sends sales emails. Mr. <laughs> Collins, right? Mr. Wickham markets to you all the time and never lets you know what he's selling until it's too late and then he tripwires you. Whereas Mr. Collins has never sent a content email in his life. Mr. Collins only sends by now in the next five minutes and you get me for life. Like, yep. D- cannot read the room. Cannot. No. Will not take no for an answer. He makes mm-hmm. unsubscribing super hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he even honors unsubscribes. Probably not. He's breaking sorts of laws. I think he's one of those unethical people like my freaking ex-boyfriend who suddenly, like, why? How many times do I have to unsubscribe from your list, bruh? And then I get put back on it. Like, that's 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 the Mr. Collins of this whole thing. He's like, you know, you want it. And she's like, pretty sure I don't. Mm-mm. Pretty sure I don't. No. <laughs> no. <sighs> yeah, no, they're all terrible. Even Mr. Bennett. Like, Mr. Bennett doesn't send any emails. Once a quarter, he might send out a little like, hey, are you still interested on staying on the list? And then doesn't ever actually say anything in between. Like just sort of sits in his living room and waits for people to come to him. Well, or he's taking so much time consuming what's possible, but not taking action. See. Just hanging out in that library. See, just hanging out in that good old library. Oh, my God. All right. So we have Collins, who only sends sales emails. Wickham, who only sends flashy, marketing, trendy emails. Like, Wickham has a TikTok account. Hardcore. Um, Not that I'm dogging TikTok, but, you know, it's shiny. Uh, Darcy's got a hate blog uh, that sends insulting emails. And Mr. Bingley wants to be everybody's best friend and says nothing. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. How much, how much better could things have gone off from the get go? Oh, if Darcy like asked some better questions, I'm thinking mostly Darcy and Elizabeth. They went through some stuff. Yeah, they went through some. I mean, they are the pride and the prejudice. So yeah, I mean, they went through a lot. Well, then there's that whole like he writes her an actual letter. 
Mm-hmm. Like he has his, these are my confessions. Like <laughs> has his moment. And then she stares in the mirror for like six hours. Yeah. I mean, like we all do, right? We get a love letter. We stare at ourselves. Like have an existential crisis. But I mean, I think there tea. is this, there is this theme. I mean, I already brought up my favorite, which is persuasion, but there is this theme in Austin of like, when I open my mouth to speak, I sound like a complete moron or asshole. And yet when I write it in a letter, suddenly everything's okay. But that's also true because when we talk, we talk all over the place. But if you're sitting down to put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, Right? Like, we tend to get our shit together a little bit better. Yeah. Well, and, like, I guess we should say, too, like, what each of those characters are doing are not bad. They just shouldn't be isolated. Yeah. They're miscommunicating. They're misfiring good intent, with the exception of Mr. Wickham. Um, like even Collins, who's only sending a sales email, he's just like, okay, he, he has a guru in his ear being like, position yourself, position yourself, be proud, know your value, Mr. Collins. You're a good man, Mr. Collins. Be a, you're going to be a good, reliable husband, Mr. Collins. So just only talk about what you can do for them forever. Right? Like he got good coaching. It just wasn't complete. Yeah. And it was all about him. Right. Right. What would Charlotte's email situation look like oh god don't forget charlotte floating in the background so quiet so quiet it would be like it would be like the one sentence like whisper email like (laughs) hi what's going on with you is there anyone alive out there hello would she feel like a bother when she sends her emails yeah like i don't want to bother you but I feel like a lot of the women in PMP would feel like their emails are a bother. I feel like the only person, like similar on the Wickham front, I feel like the only person Lydia. who's like, I get to wake up and send an email today, <laughs> is like Lydia with maybe a bonus of Kitty. Like, and and also I mm-hmm. combine them in my head all the time as Kitty Lydia because I'm They're like, basically the a lot, right? But like, I feel like Lydia has the Lydia is the influencer who is taking close-ups in a kiddie pool in her backyard to make it look like she's at like Mar-a-Lago or some shit. Like, you're like, what are you Mm -hmm. even doing? But yeah, and then she meets Wickham who only sends marketing emails and the two of them are like, we're shiny influencers now. Oh man, that, just imagining Wickham and Lydia in today's context. Kind of fun. It gives (laughs) it like a Bridgerton vibe where you're like, you know, put some Nicki Minaj in the back of that and suddenly it all makes sense. You're like, yeah, I get that. Right. But then, but but that's, there's, there's emailing for attraction and marketing for attraction. And that is bold and bright and shiny. And that is Lydia and Wickham. And that serves a purpose. Right. And then there are the deep heartfelt Darcy letters. I have to reveal my deepest secrets to you. And that reveals stuff and that's important and then there are the Collins no 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 wait please do buy from me and here's why like all of these things in combination work beautifully but when we only do the one thing when we don't mix it up we become Mm -hmm. a one-trick pony which we do not want to be because then it's easier for people to disregard us right well like doing a sales (laughs) a sales launch if you will the charlottes of the world are going to send one email yeah. Be like, oh man, I just hope that works. Nobody likes you know? it. Whereas I think of like Darcy doing a sales sequence. I recently edited one for a client who, yeah, told some of her story about her like weight loss experience mm-hmm. and why intuitive eating, you know, like that ended up being like a lead into the course. But like her story just 
it, and it performed super well because mm. people are like, I too have that 30 pounds that I just can't lose. Yep. Right. And that's giving people permission to say like the way that you're feeling is not that weird because I felt that come along on my journey. And you're much more ad- like likely to do that because mm-hmm. you don't feel alone. Right. You can't forget that there are people and like the stories matter. The context and value matters. Yes. Right. Like the, the Collins relationship is just like, dude, it's like, you don't even see me. Right. Oh man. The fact that he was like, he came to town for Jane and then was mm-hmm. like, Elizabeth, I've been thinking about you this whole time. And I'm like, easy. I know that's not true. It's like Peter Pan coming back for Wendy's granddaughter. You're like, gross, dude. Gross. Yeah. Boundaries. Read the room, dude. Come on. <laughs> like, ugh. Yeah, boundaries. Exactly. But yeah, you don't know the context, right? And if you did know the context, it would be helpful. If you knew, I mean, famously, very famously, my very astute hobbit husband, Ryan, is really, really annoying to watch movies with, especially movies based on classics. Because when you're reading, you might be like, hmm, that's really interesting. But then you get through and you're like, oh, I had a feeling that guy was going to be a jerk. No, no. I introduced... Ryan to Pride and Prejudice through this movie version that we are discussing today, right? And the second that Rupert Friend walks on screen as Mr. Wickham, Ryan immediately goes, I don't trust this Mr. Wickham. And I'm like, cool. On one hand, I'm like, good, good instinct. You shouldn't. And on the other hand, I'm like, you just wasted a half hour of movie for you when we figure that out. But... Not for nothing, if Darcy came out at the very beginning and was like, hey, let me spill some tea on this dude. He's not ethical. He's a butthead. And you should stay away from him instead of just standing across the room and pouting about it. Like, if he had been forthcoming and been like, that dude hurt my sister. If he had even been like, hello, I have a sister. If we could find out about the sister before we go 200 pages in, he might be a bit more sympathetic, right? So, like... The question that I have for our listeners is what secrets are you squirreling away that don't need to be secretive? And I'm not saying don't have boundaries. I'm saying it's a whole range of what you disclose and when. You don't have to tell your sister's social security number, but the fact that she exists might be important. Yeah. Are you so you're saying, you know, we can bring in some of those personal elements? Yes. Yes. The only personal element that we had about Darcy at the beginning is that he's BFFs with Bingley. And Bingley's so not, and rich as shit, right? It's like, okay, he's rich, he's visiting, and he's friends with Bingley. And then Bingley gives us so little in the form of differentiation that like, okay, all we know about these is that they're two rich dudes. That one's kind of dopey and sweet. And that one is hot and an asshole. Okay. (laughs) Right. You want to know one of my favorite things to do? Because you know yes. I've watched this movie uh on repeat. Like you just I mean, as you should. Just watch it again. Um, is like going from the last couple scenes, especially the one where he's like walking across the meadow and he is disheveled. Duh, like shoveled. his shirt is open, his hair's a mess, like he's wet. Yep. And then you start the next you start the movie over again and he's all buttoned up. <laughs> And you see these like very distinctly different yeah. Darcy's and you're like, I don't yeah. like, and, and part of me just like loves that, like loves seeing him like so torn down, like so off, not like that sounds mean, like tear him down, but no. like just so like unfiltered, so, unglossy. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like then, 
I think that's very Austin too of like, let's take some people down the peg that's necessary. But like normally in order to do that, there's like a scandal or someone gets sick in bed for like a month and a half. And then like everybody saw, you know, unbathed Jane for a month and it still worked. So they're like, oh, love. Right. But but no. Yeah. He's wandering the wet moors at like five o'clock in the morning with unbrushed hair and a wet T-shirt in an unfun way. And then he, by the time he runs into her, he just has to tell the truth because why else would he be out wandering the wet at 5 a.m. other than to disclose? Yeah, I, I I do appreciate that he didn't beat around the bush. He's like, I love, I love, I love, I love you. you. <laughs> the triple love is real fun. I love, I love, I love you. <laughs> he also just really loves to say things like multiple times, Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. We're like, we get it. You like to whisper <laughs> things three times. At the beginning of the movie slash book, if you could have been like, I come off as kind of an asshole. I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. Then maybe that would have been helpful. But no. <laughs> Can I get some clues up front? <laughs> like a hint? <laughs> Can I get a hint? Can we just put like a fuckboy pin on him and just be like, oh, yeah. he'll get there. But it is interesting, like watching him develop like generosity Right. And he doesn't like it wasn't flashy. She wasn't even supposed to know that he had rescued the wedding. No. Like there are a lot of things. And maybe that's part of your heartbeat of like the content you share is like, how can I be generous? Like one of the fears people always had. (laughs) Oh, how can I be generous? Well, because like we always have a fear of oversharing. But what does it look like to actually just like deliver the whole thing and not leave people guessing? Right. Like, how do you be rich in a Mr. Darcy way where everybody just knows it and not in a Caroline Bingley way where she makes sure everybody knows it? Like, how can you be genuinely generous and have it be a heartbeat without telling everybody how generous you are? And like, that can go beyond email. That can go in how you treat your team, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat your clients. Like, I mean, I could talk about that all day. Like, how you treat your competitors, how you treat your peers, how you treat your vendors. I mean, how you treat everyone. Well, and like we, especially when Darcy introduces his sister and you're uh-huh. like, oh, there's this whole side of him that yep. is like kind and generous. Mm-hmm. And yep. his sister doesn't know the difference. He, no. She doesn't know the Darcy that we know. Well, she doesn't That's leave the house. So, you know, she plays piano in size and only knows her brother as a peach, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yes. And, but yeah, I mean, it must be hard to play piano all day. She is very fair-skinned. I wonder if she doesn't like the house. I don't think she does. I think she's too, I think she's too Austin ill. Oh, yeah. Meaning, like, she's got the immune system of a Tic Tac. And, and if she <laughs> goes out into the sun, she'll shrivel up like Kirsten Dunst in that vampire movie. Like, just bye-bye. Oh, man. At least she has more uh, freedom to run around the house versus, you know, the Berthas of the world and Jane Eyre. Oh, listen, listen, you don't even, how long is this episode? Y'all don't even want to get, I will bring you back for a Jane Eyre episode because I have so many things that I could draw about being the Bertha in the attic and, and why we should be, why we should all be the Bertha Masons of our brand, but we are not going to talk about We don't have time for that today. (laughs) Teaser, open loop. We'll come back. We're not going Brontes. We're staying in Austin. All right. (laughs) We'll make a persuasion reference once or twice, but we're not going. All right. But, but even so, I mean, 
Jane Eyre is an entire book about miscommunication and secrets and holding on to your secrets. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, if he was like, it's not Grace Poole, I have this crazy wife, she lives in my attic, this is very complicated, and I don't know how to navigate it, Jane, so maybe you could help me before she tries to light my bed on fire. You know, uh, but again, miscommunication. We squirrel away our best content until they've, air quotes, earned it. And what happens? Your crazy wife lights your bed on fire or you make yourself seem like a jerk for two entire seasons of balls. So nobody wants to dance with you, even though you're rich and hot. Okay, like we can't be so stingy with our truth. If there's a crazy woman living in your attic, just tell people she's there. Yeah. Don't wait until you're literally at the altar. I mean, spoilers for Jane Eyre. Okay. Sorry for anything. You haven't read it by know. now. If you yeah. haven't read it by now, skip Lowood School. It sucks. She stands on a stool and her friend dies. I mean, if we're going to spoil it, let's just spoil it. But, you know, I think, but there is that idea. And I, I mean, I'm going to make a really broad statement that's probably totally wrong. But I think in this, era of of these great amazing period classics that we love so well a lot of the undercurrent of it was how do women who historically no one wants to hear from tell stories that everybody wants to and so there's always a muzzled woman in these books always maybe more than one I mean, I would argue that like every single woman in Jane Eyre down to Adele the child is a muzzled woman. The housekeeper is muzzled. Bertha's muzzled. Grace Poole is muzzled. Everybody, even the horrible aunt, like they're all not saying what they need to say. But on the Austin side of it, it's less angry and oppressive and violent and more languishing and yearning and misunderstanding each other and how you know, we might not have to explain the deepest, darkest secrets of our life like a Bronte, but we might have to explain, I'm sorry, we might have to apologize for some stuff. We might have to allow our brand to grow. We might have to be vulnerable. We might have to change how we show up. We might have to admit Mm -hmm. how we've evolved. We might have to show that evolution, right? Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, I'm an email marketing expert. It's what I do. And I had a team member managing my email list or or my email that was going out while I was at a conference. Well, the wrong link got sent or it was an error in the link. So I went and fixed it during the conference only to duplicate the email, write a little apology, which is like, whatever, I'm fine doing that. But then I had a typo in the subject line that said, oops, oops, I I fixed the think is what I put. And I just hit send. And then you're like, oh, well, everyone makes mistakes, you know, and just like, that doesn't keep you from continuing to send. Even right there, like that's a perfect, perfect message for us. And on a typo in an email does not have to be a disaster. If it's a minor typo, you don't have to own it. If it's a broken link, the word oops can be your friend. Mm -hmm. What if Mr. Darcy had just said, oops, I came off wrong there, Lizzie. I didn't mean mm-hmm. to insult you to your face when I didn't know you were listening. I didn't, I don't know why I came in so brusque. I apologize. And she could have been like, oops, I'm sorry. I've been sending your emails to spam. <laughs> oops. Maybe write me a letter next time and then I'll see you in the rain. It, it just teaches us how we, how we show up to people and that we can be intentional about that. Right. Like all, all I do is write welcome sequences. Right. It's like, how do you actually introduce yourself to people so that they feel welcome? 
connected. They have a full understanding of who you are, what they're going to get from you before they just like hop in midstream as though they've been there forever. So they get the right first impression. And so do you because it goes both ways. Oh, freaking gorgeous. All right. I got two more questions for you before I release you back to your gorgeous day. We're back in the day. We're having saddles. And you and I are taking a turn about the room, which literally for people that are not in the Austin world means you walk around the room in a circle. Okay. So you and I are taking a turn about the room and we're talking and someone needs to be impressed. Suddenly a high profile client comes in, but in order to impress them, you can only use the hobbies of the period on which women were graded. Are you going to choose to? play an instrument, needlepoint, sing, garden, or something else. Speak in French. (laughs) You're pulling out the exotic card. You're going to be like, hold on. Hold on. on." Because in this imaginary world, I can speak French. Whereas in this world, I cannot. So we're just, I can uh, speak the modern languages. (laughs) She's so worldly. And for people that understand how worldly you truly, truly are, what is the best way for our listeners to come into your world and start a conversation with you? So I created a landing page for y'all called duet.co slash TLTQ, where you can get uh, my freebie on writing your first welcome sequence, namely such, so you can introduce yourself. Um, You can also learn more about my services and how you can work with me. I do done-for-you services for content creators and bloggers so that we can really um, build that brand loyalty and awareness, but also drive traffic for sales and site traffic. Gorgeous. And that's Duet, which is D-U-E-T-T, two T's. Dot C-O. Dot C-O. Dot C-O. Well, I'm so glad we finally did this. It was so goofy and wonderful. And wow, we pulled a lot of lessons out today. Allie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Annie. Oh, heck yeah. Y'all, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. All right. I know we went a little in the weeds with the idea of your email marketing being a character from Pride and Prejudice. But seriously, have you ever thought about what it would be like to date your email list? Or better yet, what it would feel like if your email list was trying to date you? Are you asking the kind of questions that foster connection or are you just being disruptive or making assumptions? Are you coming off too soft, too meek, too Bingley-esque, or possibly too brusque and too cocky like a Mr. Darcy? What is the tone of the emails you send and how frequently, how ardently, how earnestly are you expressing your love to your audience? Email is a weird beast, and it certainly doesn't feel like it's for everyone, but it is the now, it is the future, and it is the most consistent marketing tool that we all wield and own the intellectual property for. No matter what Facebook does, no matter what Twitter does, our email lists are our own. Your homework this week is to look at the emails you've been sending lately and to assign them a persona. What kind of boyfriend, girlfriend, or they friend are you putting out into the world? And is that the kind of friend that you want to be? Are you showing up in those emails how you want to show up? 
Are you leaving too much to potential miscommunication and chance? Or are you playing all your cards? If you're holding back this week, I challenge you to let them in a little more, obviously within boundary and in a way that feels semi-comfortable for you. But in order to stand out from the competition, we have to be willing to connect more deeply. That's what I encourage you to do. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbacio. And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time.